Sports fans are all too used to hear. Until now. No more negative expectations. No more playing the victim. No more fair weather freeloaders. No more. 38 yard field goal by Morton Anderson. The hold, the kick, it's on the way, it's up and it's going. From the Mesmerized Studios in Woodstock, Georgia, Believe Entertainment proudly presents Believe in Atlanta Sports with your hosts, Robert Taylor and the Commissioner, Mark Rich. Hello, Atlanta sports fans, and welcome, welcome, welcome to Episode 9 of Believe in Atlanta Sports. And this is a special episode because today we have our very first caller a call-in guest. He couldn't make it into the studio. We have former LSU quarterback, NFL quarterback, MLB alumni, Josh Booty. We're going to get him on the phone in just a second. We're actually going to call him live right now as we're recording. Uh, You're probably going to hear the phone ring, and he's going to pick up, and he's got some exciting stuff to talk about. He has developed a new app that's basically being kind of dubbed as the TikTok of challenge apps. Our uh, friend Cam over at Believe set this up, and uh, let's, without further ado, let's call the man. This is exciting. Hey, this is Josh. Josh, good morning. How are you? This is Robert Believe Atlanta Sports and my co-host, Commissioner Mark Rich. How you doing, man? What's going on, boys? Oh, not a whole lot, man. Uh, Thanks for coming on our little show that's going to be a big show one day. And you got a lot of exciting stuff to talk about. And we're going to kind of, for people who uh, may not know you in the area, or or I'm going to give you a little introduction, you are an SEC analyst at Believe. Now, I looked this up, and I'm going to ask you something. You're from Starkville, Mississippi. That's where you originated from. Well, my family's Louisiana, but my dad, uh, my mom and dad both went to Mississippi State. My dad was a quarterback there in the uh, early 70s. So he grew up in Louisiana, went to school there, actually had transferred in from Arkansas. Uh, He was a Razorback and then went to uh, Mississippi State. And then I was born there. And then we moved back to Louisiana when I was young, like seven years old. So my family's Louisiana, but I did spend some time in Starkville. Did you get a little flack? Uh, for not going to Mississippi State. to get a little pressure, a little gentle pressure well, applied to go there? Well, I, I did do a recruiting visit there. Uh, one of my five officials was there, and, and Bruce Arians, who later coached me at uh, in Cleveland with Butch Davis, was there with Jackie Sherrill, who's a good friend of mine still, and Ron Polk, who was the baseball coach, is still really, really close to me. Um, so I, uh, I'm actually closer to the staff there that was was there at Mississippi State when I was getting recruited than I am, you know, Curly Hallman and, and Skip Bergman and the guys that were at LSU when I was getting recruited, which is which is crazy, I guess. They had a little changing of the guard there at LSU as well, and, and Saban came in, so he played a little under him. 
Yeah, he was he was pretty amazing, man, in terms of just putting a great staff together and working smart and working hard all at the same time. And he's an he's an amazing individual. So let's get down to business. Uh, you are a fellow believer. You're an SEC analyst over there, and our friend Cam reached out and kind of hooked us up and made this happen because you got something going on in Atlanta this weekend. But bigger than that, you're you're coming out with a new app. I'm not going to say much about it. It's I think it's if I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's called the Bula app. They're calling it the TikTok of challenge apps, and you got a little <laughs> event for that Friday down at the Ivy in Atlanta. Also the dogs and ducks. So take it away, sir. Yeah, man, we're excited, dude. BulaChallenge.com uh, is the is the website. We're going to go live in the App Store on Friday, and we're super pumped about it. It is the TikTok of challenges. It's a uh, challenge with a verdict. Uh, you can appoint a judge. It's blank canvas stuff. Kind of, it's it's kind of like dude perfect, jackass, and handicapping all all rolled into one on a social environment. So challenge there, waging your friends on the blockchain for everybody to see. Um, it's, we're not, we're not a sports book. We're not Barstool. We're not Caesars. We're not MGM. Uh, you can, you can control your, uh, lines, your odds, your challenge. It's like, can you get the girl's number at the bar for a drink? It could be for, for pizza, for pride, for money. It doesn't matter. You just put it on the blockchain. It memorializes it so everybody can see it. So there's a viral component to it. We're going to have wallet functionalities and tokenization in the future, but, we're the Disney version of gambling, to be honest with you, and it's peer to peer, so completely different environment than than uh, you know a sports book type of environment with Vegas odds and lines. You create your own stakes and your own game, and it could be video games or golf or whatever. Um, it's just up to you to create whatever kind of challenge dare wager you want, and uh, and to have fun. Man, you're talking blockchain, you're talking Web3, you're talking cryptocurrency. So that's, that is exciting, big stuff. We're both uh, uh, crypto guys, and we're going yep. to talk a little more. Uh, man, you guys are an athletic family because you had a brother, Abram, that played a little at LSU and Valdosta State, and, of course, your brother, John David, at USC, and you were a Seahawk, you were a Brown, you were a Raider, you played for the Florida Marlins. That's, that's pretty impressive, and, and you were also uh, on a reality show I want to. I'm probably going to get the name wrong, but I think it was called the next knuckleballer or the next great knuckleballer. The great, the next knuckler. <laughs> yeah. It was. It was kind of like the big break, which is a golf show on the Golf Channel. The big break for Major League Baseball Network. They had never done a show before on the network. It's a reality competition show, and I was on there with a bunch of cool David Green there, and you know he's there in a Georgia guy, and um, or uh. Doug Flutie was on the show, and my brother J.D. was on the show. There's five or six quarterbacks, and they brought us in to teach us the knuckleball uh, from Wakefield and Charlie Huff, who I've been around both those guys, uh, you know, in my baseball life. And um, actually, Huff was with the Marlins when I signed in 94 with the Marlins out of high school, and he's one of the first guys I ever met in the locker room in, in Miami. But he, uh, you know, he's a great knuckleball pitcher. And, of course, the Necro brothers, no one had really uh, – had ever won a Cy Young and R.A. Dickey had won it six or seven years ago. And that's why they decided to do the show. It was, it was uh, for him and these guys to teach some football guys how to throw the knuckleball and, and could they learn it fast enough to compete, you know, in, in a professional environment. And I won this reality show. I ended up going to camp with the Diamondbacks and pitched three times in camp against the Giants and Bruce Bochy and his group, which was just coming off a world series championship. And, so that was kind of fun to be in Arizona pitching for the Diamondbacks in big league camp, uh, throwing a knuckleball, which I had never 
you know, of course, thrown. I'd thrown it in the outfield shagging balls and messing around, but never thrown it in a game and in a real situation against big league hitters. So that was that was nerve wracking in itself, but it was fun. And uh, you know, my my arm was live enough to be able to get it done and and to actually compete. So it was it was a lot of fun. So let's talk about what you got going on Friday in Atlanta. And and before I do that, are you are you living in Atlanta now? Are you just in town to promote this just, thing and kick it off? Yeah, we're doing a university marketing campaign tour, and we got four events. This is the first of four, so we thought we'd do it around SEC, uh, you know, games, uh, big games in the on the college slate as well. And Oregon, of course, Oregon coming to Georgia is a, fir- a, gr- a great place to start, and the Ivy and Buckhead is a great iconic sports bar, as you guys know. And, and uh, that's week one. Week two, we're on Sixth Street in Austin next week for uh, Bama at Texas. Then we. We got a couple weeks in, uh, off, and then we're going A&M in Tuscaloosa for the Bama game against uh, Jimbo and Saban going head-to-head. Then we've got Ole Miss at LSU, so Lane Kiffin versus Brian Kelly in late October, which will be fun. And those are our first four events. Uh, we're They're activation events for us, but we're going to have challenges and fun games. And, you know, if you come and sign up uh, to get on the app, you get a free drink. And we've got a specialty drink called the Booth Gola. It's a, a, the Booth, the Bula Ghost, sorry. I've been talking so much about it, but the Bula Ghost drink, which is a spicy margarita with ghost tequila, which is a ghost pepper tequila. We're doing that with them, uh, co-sponsoring the event. So a lot of fun. My guys there on the IV, and we're doing it, these, these events at awesome places that are, uh, you know, college football centric, college crowd centric. And so we're super fired up about it. Man, ghost pepper tequila sounds amazing, but it also sounds like <laughs> it could hurt you the next day. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Probably hurt you immediately. So let's... Let's uh, shift focus here, man. That I mean, that's crazy. Uh, I mean, uh, you might you might cross paths with those game day guys. Those are some huge games. It sounds like you guys are ready to take the the world by storm with this thing. I know I'm going to check it out. I'm even going to try to get down there on Friday. But awesome. let you know, let's talk a little SEC football. I'm going to kick it over to Mark. He's got a couple of questions for you. A little SEC preview. A little yeah. Georgia. Those uh, those games you're going to to start out. That's a very target rich environment for you. You are. <laughs> You're hitting it yes. right off the bat. Um, wanted to touch on the upcoming UGA season with you, um, specifically your thoughts on Stetson Bennett from last year to this year and why you think he that the, there's such a huge knock on him from the majority of, uh, of the fan base. Um, if you think the offense is going to be better than the defense and how you feel that shift in power – uh, for Georgia is going to affect, and if you have any insight on a particular six foot five inch, two hundred and fifty pound hybrid missile named Eric Gilbert. <laughs> yeah, Eric Gilbert's a wonderful, wonderful athlete. Uh, you know, getting to Stetson Bennett. I mean, he threw twenty nine touchdowns last year on the road to the championship and the title. And you know, I think the fans think he's a little limited because he probably is, but he's a wonderful, wonderful college player and gives them the best chance to win. I'm. I'm good buddies with some of the other quarterbacks. Brock Vandergriff is a real good friend of mine. He's the backup. I talked to him yesterday, and and uh, you know, stay ready, kind of kind of talk. But uh, at the same time, I think Stetson has been able to hold all those five-star athletes off because he's a veteran now. He's been around the program. He's gritty. He's gamey. He doesn't make a lot of bad decisions. It's like just what what do you do when the play's not there? Make make good out of those plays and I think that's what he was able to do last year especially in the championship game he 
he threw one away to Bama in the SEC title game, and that really hurt him, and I, he probably learned from that. So I think the strength of their team is going to be different this year. You mentioned Gilbert, the tight ends. Uh, tight end room is absolutely star-studded um, in terms of what they – yeah, ridiculous. I mean, they're so strong up front on both sides of the ball. Uh, of course, they've got those two studs, Carter and Smith, on the defense. One's a D-line guy that can wreak a bunch of havoc. As you know, Nolan Smith is uh, kind of the engine that makes them run on defense and can fly around and just plays at a high level. I think those two guys can – help carry that defense until they get some experience because they lost so much talent last year. I think Georgia is going to run the ball effectively. They're going to have to hit the tight ends, keep, you know, kind of keep the chains moving. Stetson will do some stuff with play action outside the pocket as well because he's an he's an athletic guy. He's not a speed burner, but he's not he's also not a stationary guy. So I, I think that they're going to move him around, let him make some plays with his, uh, you know, outside the pocket a little bit more, especially on like crossing routes or tight end crossing routes or deep crossing routes and over routes that you might not have seen as much of last year because, uh, you know, they lost two great receivers, uh, one to Alabama and then Pickens who has absolutely exploded onto the scene in the NFL preseason. So I think, you know, you'll see a little bit different team. They're going to play great defense. They always have, but to lose Dan Lanning to Oregon has to face him first week is going to be a, uh, you know, an exciting game for both sides of, of the coin uh, in terms of Oregon because they've got a, a guy from the Kirby Smart tree, from the Saban tree, really, when you really boil down to it because Lanning is, it comes from Smart and Smart from Saban. So I think Oregon needed a little bit of that defensive-minded, uh, uh, you know, prowess on their team. I mean, Cristobal was a great coach now at Miami, but, I mean, they gave up 30 points. to They, they got beat by 30 points back-to-back games to Utah at the end of the season last year. So I think they think that this is an upgrade for, for Oregon, and, uh, you know, rightly so. Landing has done an un- unbelievable job, did a wonderful job a year ago, and, and leads them into the Mercedes-Benz um, Dome with, uh, you know, with a national championship ring the year before and helping Kirby win it. Yeah, you know, uh, people were a little upset about Landing leaving, but I think he's going to do great things at Oregon. But another thing, too, is people seem to forget they still got a guy in Glenn Schumann who's no slouch. Will Muschamp, his record speaks for himself. His resume is impressive. And you still got arguably one of the best college defensive coordinators around ever, maybe, in Kirby. So I think the defense is going to be just fine. Yeah, I'm sure everybody's seen the uh, the viral video of – Muschamp punching through uh, dry race board yeah. in the locker room. I, I love his intensity. Really glad to have that. <laughs> Worth noting, too, that uh, Mr. Gilbert was involved in a uh, little car accident. I think it was uh, maybe late last night, early this morning. Don't have a lot wow. of details, so that could be uh, something. He was. I think he was back at practice yesterday, so all signs point to him being good to go. Good, good. Okay, well, let's talk, let's talk some Tigers. Um, you know, um, looking going forward into the near season, it's it's a new regime, new leadership. What do you need to see from Brian Kelly and LSU in year one, and and what are the expectations coming out of Baton Rouge this year? I think I think for him to to gain, you know, to really gain an identity on both sides of the ball with Denbrock and House, the offensive and defensive coordinators. Um, I think in several years uh, has gone by since Burrow was able to do some amazing things at LSU and win us a national championship. And we lost all that, that talent that we had in the room. And it just seemed like things started to unravel. We didn't play great defense. Uh, we didn't run the football well. Our offensive line play has been sloppy. I think 
at times, uh, you know, okay, but not great. I think that's what we, he has to do is come in there. We've got to get, you know, identities on both sides of the ball because LSU lost their identities. We lost a lot of our coaching staff after we won the national championship. We had to reload all of our players. But, but you know, we play big game after big game in the SEC. And, and, and if you have some fall off, it can down spiral quick. Uh, you know, in that league. And when you go 500 in the league, you don't keep your job. And that's what happened to Orgeron. I love, I love Bebe. He's, he's awesome. I've known him since he was at Miami with Erickson in the 90s. He recruited me, but he recruited my brother at SC. But in terms of being a head coach and uh, from the top down, doing everything right, detail-oriented, uh, you know, getting an identity on both sides of the ball, he wasn't able to bring that to the table year in, year out. And I think that's where that's where Brian Kelly's got to do what he's got to do. He's got to shore up the, the line play. They've got to play great defense, um, run the football, stay balanced, use the tight ends, exactly what he's done in Notre Dame, but he's going to have better athletes, get the ball out to the perimeter, you know, in some matchup uh, problems. They'll always be, you know, we'll always have great receivers. So you, there'll be some matchup issues out there for defenses having to face us. We've got a, probably a top 10 pick in Kayshawn Boutte, one of the receivers that we've got on on the roster, who's awesome. And uh, I think we just got to play great football, uh, you know, and, and then be really solid up front on both sides of the ball. Man, I tell you what, uh, I've been to quite a few SEC stadiums around, and probably one and two on, on the hottest places on earth has got to be Death Valley down there. And in South Carolina, those two stadiums are like being in a convection oven. It is so <laughs> hot, I'm telling you. Now, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you probably follow it pretty close, but a, a question I got for you is, why, why do you think Georgia's kind of being served up a little disrespect by some people? More importantly, Colin Coward came out with his top 25, and he had Georgia at 14. Wow. Tennessee, Tennessee ahead of him. USC, Texas, some of these teams that have the potential to kind of get back on the map, but there's been a lot of kind of negative things about Georgia in the media, and I, I'm just wondering, what are they thinking? Because Georgia's kind of in a place – to just reload and, and kind of they're kind yep. of setting up to maybe maybe potentially go into full dynasty mode. I mean, what's what's the motivation there? Do you think? I think Colin and I know I've known Colin for a long time. He was I did some shows out with him on the West Coast uh, when my brother was at SC, and I think he he likes to stir things up. Let's get that straight <laughs> first and foremost. You know, what I mean, he's stirring it up on the West Coast for everybody kind of. To, to get under the skin a little bit. You know, he's probably wanting to see what everybody's wanting to see. How are they going to gel defensively, losing all those stars? That's what happened to LSU several years ago was the foundation wasn't really there. I think Georgia's foundation is mu at, at a much higher place with all those five stars and, and uh, coming off that championship win. And you got your quarterback back, which everybody kind of looks to the quarterback to – you know, keep things together, uh, you know, in the course of a ball game, and they'll be able to do that. Georgia's always been able to run the football, and with those tight ends, that's going to help the defense. I mean, controlling the ball, uh, you know, during the course of the game. LSU was not able to do that two years ago after we lost all those players. And and so I think he's missing the point a little bit. If you look at Vegas and look at the line on the game 17, I mean, Vegas believes in them, you know, in Georgia and what they're capable of doing. I mean, Oregon's a good football team. I think 11th preseason ranking-wise, and, and for Georgia to be 17-point favorite, that's a big number. So I think, you know, Colin Coward's trying to stir some things up nationally, but at the same time, Vegas uh, is usually right on, spot on with uh, with how they're thinking, and that line's 17. So that's a big line, and I think Georgia's going to be, be fine this year. So give us your prediction 
for Saturday, but more importantly, who takes the SEC crown? Who takes the national title in, in the way too early because we're just getting started? But who do you got? Well, I like Georgia in the ball game. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a 17-point game. It really depends. Oregon's got a better defense than what people think. They've got several players that are going to play in the NFL, too, and they've played together a while. Uh, Noah Sewell, the linebacker there, is amazing. Justin Flo is just a stud off the edge. I mean, so they're going to present some problems. I don't think they have the athletes to line up for four quarters and, and play with Georgia. I think they'll play a, a good half with them, and then Georgia might the strength of the team physically – uh, could could really diminish Oregon's chances in the second half of winning that ball game, and, and percentages are going to go way down for them. But I, I I do like Georgia in the ball game. I say 31-17, um, you know something like that. Uh, I do like Alabama to win it all, unless the Bryce Young goes down. I think his experience, their run game with the Georgia Tech transfer and Trey Sanders healthy is going to be really really amazing in that defense with Will Anderson and that group. I I don't see Bama losing. Any games, they've got A&M at home. They'll probably play Georgia in the SEC championship, and it'll be a redemption game for them. So they'll show up and show out. I would believe if Bryce Young stays healthy, no one in the country is going to be able to play with them except for maybe Ohio State. They return nine on defense. They've got great receivers and quarterback and Trayvon Henderson at tailback, which could be a problem for Alabama in the long run. I think those are the two best teams in the country. Well, there you have Fair it. Fair enough. Fair enough. A quick question for you, too. Um, <clears throat> talking about uh, UGA, and I, I know Colin Cowherd is a pot stirrer, so him, not him specifically, but we, we talk a lot on the show about how the narrative about uh, a lot of Georgia sports across the country is we, we tend to get downplayed. Do you see that, that that happens with the SEC in general outside of maybe Alabama across the country with – the SEC hate coming from the national media? Do you see that a lot? Or is that just something because we're so Georgia-centric and we're focused on how we feel the, the world looks at Georgia? Do you think that's a valid way for us to feel? Or is it is it not your experience that that's correct? I think there's some validity there. Um, you know, I think it's vice versa, too, in the South. I've been on the West Coast for a long time. I moved to Miami two years ago from Southern California. I was there for 15 years. They don't like the SEC, and the SEC doesn't like the Pac-12, and they think it's softball out there, and it's past happy. They can't line up and hit you in the mouth. I mean, there's a lot. It goes both ways. I think Saban has cast a, uh, cast a monster shadow on the rest of the country, and in particular the SEC, because they've been so dominant, and everybody's tired of Alabama winning. That's all over the country. I enjoy it when Alabama's good, I played for Saban. It's fun to watch, you know, him prepare for big games, and and they're such a juggernaut. But I think he has cast a big shadow. I mean, until last year, no no former assistant had ever beat them. And and you know, if if the two receivers don't go down, maybe that national championship game's a little different. And I'm not a Bama homer. I'm an LSU kid, but I also know what I see. And 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 they've always they've always reloaded. They've all now that they've gone to the spread. Uh, they're putting up some amazing numbers offensively, and they can shred people with all the talent that that he gets. And so I think that's what what the other teams in the country have seen. Uh, Bama do recruit well, uh, spread the ball around, have a great run game, have a great front on both sides of the ball, get after the quarterback, and then now get the receivers into the action. And 
in Alabama, there's nobody that's had better receivers the last five years in Alabama. I mean, LSU's had some good ones. Ohio State's had some good ones. But when you really look at it, Alabama's had a ton of great receivers. And, uh, in, in, you know, in past, in, in past decades, until the last 10 or 12 years, it was never Alabama has the great receivers. Now they've been able to open it up. Saban understands the RPO and the spread now and how valuable it is to his organization. And, and now it's lights out. You know, every year they're going to be in contention because they got the best players in the country. And, uh, you know, guys like Kirby Smart are, are rising up to contend with them and Jimbo and, and maybe Ohio State and maybe USC in the future. But for right now, I mean, it's Saban's year again, and it's everybody on the outside looking in until they're able to knock him off. He gets A&M at home, which is huge, too, this year. He doesn't have to go on the road to play that game, and he doesn't play Georgia in the regular season. So he should walk into that SEC championship game, in my mind, this year. Everybody stays healthy. All right. Well, I also wanted to touch on your thoughts on uh, NIL and college football. I read mm-hmm. that I read that your nephew at Oklahoma has a, some pretty sweet gear out there, um, but he's also uh, I mean, what do you think the impact? He's he's selling shirts, and uh, from what I read, he's donating twenty percent of the proceeds to the Oklahoma Children's Hospital. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, he has been able to sell a lot of merchandise because I think of his na- his name, General Booty, is. is- is is one that's one for the ages, I guess. I mean, people have kind of gravitated to that name. And, you know, he's a backup quarterback at Oklahoma. He's 19 years old. He's a youngster. You know, he's got four years there uh, coming up. So he's excited about the future there and being in the room with Levy and Venables and learning, uh, you know, kind of what college football is all about. And, and Norman, man, it, it, there is nothing but football. And, and that's, it's as traditional a football setting environment as you'll ever see. And the Venables and Levy are awesome. So he's learning a ton week in, week out, just in practice sessions and over the summer and things he didn't know even existed probably in terms of, of knowledge of the game. And so I told him to soak it up, sell as many seizures as he can, get some NIL deals, but really, really take this year to learn. Uh, how the how the college football game is played. They're going to be in the SEC in the several years. It'd be fun to see him behind center, but he's a great kid. And yeah, the NIL deal, it's crazy. It's changing the game. So is the transfer portal. It's the whole thing's changed. It's free agency. You've got free to agency and salary. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. You got to re-recruit your players that are in in your quarterback room or in your position rooms and on your team. And it's just like you can't coach them as hard. It's not the hard knocks that we used to have where. You know, you, you if you left, you'd have to sit out a year and it'd ruin your college career pretty much. I mean, now it's like Max Johnson, the quarterback Brad's son. Is, Brad's a buddy of mine, but Max is a quarterback at LSU last year. Now he's at, at, at Texas A&M. His last game last year was a start against A&M. Now he's in the quarterback room at A&M. And so he could have started. He didn't get the nod first week, but he's a great player. He could have started week one for A&M this year. And, um, you know, it just – it's weird. It's weird that now we might have to face a guy that was playing for us last year and uh, and not far removed from, from our organization. Or, you know, and then these kids are able to move around if they don't get first team. And I, I don't really like that. you got to earn stuff in life. And, and some of this, some of this stuff is, is granted, but some of it's not uh, in terms of the way I see it. I'm like, you know what, if you don't start, get better. And, and so that's, that's, that's the tough part um, about it because you want to see these kids get opportunities, but at the same time, the jump around 
to a bunch of different schools because you can't start, that's a little weird. You know, you're not going to play in the NFL most likely if you've had to jump to play at three or four different schools and still aren't quite, you know. Sure. And that, that actually kind of weirded me out too. I, I, I the, the guy's name completely I'm, – I'm missing his name, but he transferred from uh, Ohio State to um, – The to Bishop my, Gorman. Yeah, the kid from Nevada that uh, – the Tate. Yeah, but that's kind of where the ice broke, where it was just like – they just gave him eligibility where you normally would have to sit out a year like that. They just said, okay, you're granted eligibility, but he didn't petition or anything. He had no reason for eligibility. Justin Fields gets his eligibility when he goes to Ohio State for his reasons, and other people get eligibility granted immediately for their whatever their reasons are, but they just granted him eligibility with no reason other than he didn't think he was going to play at Ohio State, so he transferred out. Um, and now you used to see like transfer used to ha- used to come at a cost. It doesn't come at a cost now. Now people are transferring because they get better NIL deals at different schools. So that it's a it's almost a Pandora's box that we've opened. But um, mm-hmm. it's so new right now. Everybody is taking full advantage of it. Do you think that they'll be able to like wrangle that in or or control this, or do you think this is something that's going to uh, get out of hand before before they're able to get a hold of it? I think it's here for a few more years. I hope they, I hope they don't table it uh, because I don't like it. I, I, I think that it should get back to a little bit. It, it just reminds me of college basketball, to be honest, with the one and done stuff. And you know, you go to class for just a, a segment of one year, and now you're drafted in the NBA, or you hope you do get drafted in the NBA. And it's like nothing's promised, man, in this world. And even if you get to the NBA, you might not last long because you're not ready mentally emotionally physically there's a lot of things and so i mean i think these kids should 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 have to stay with work you know where they chose to play for at least two years or have something like that to see you know what make it make it a little bit more difficult on these kids in real life situations and you know if the head coach leaves or your your quarterback coach or the offensive coordinator leaves maybe that's something that could be an indicator of okay now you can you can transfer because that's why you went to school there. Um, but but if you if the coaching staff stays intact, you chose that staff. You got to stick it out, and at least for two or three years, and then maybe you're able to transfer to your last year of eligibility or something like that. There there should be some rules and regulations around that. In in, uh, in my point of view, man. I could talk to you for hours. We're going to have to get you back on the show sometime because <laughs> I have so many questions, but we're, we're running out of time here, but I want to thank you for stopping in. I want to thank you for calling in. I'm going to try to get down to the Ivy on Friday, but Josh Booty, thank you so much. And, thank you and let's very get with much. Cam and cause I could do a whole nother hour with you, but we got to run, Anytime. but just remember everybody, <laughs> the Bula app Friday at the Ivy, go down there, grab a ghost tequila, uh, margarita, and Josh, we'll talk to you later. Thank you so much, my friend. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it, Rob. Appreciate Absolutely. It, Bye. Well, there you have it, guys. Josh Booty. That was awesome. That was great. We're going to get him back because, man, the conversation was flowing. But uh, we do have to run. But thank you for tuning in. Drop us a like. Subscribe. We're out of here, Atlanta. We love you. I forgot to wear a hat. Do you believe? 